Hello and welcome to the podcast for the March issue of The Lancet Oncology. Richard Lane here and this month I'm joined by Emma Granger to discuss some of the issue highlights. Emma, let's start with new data from the HERA trial and this concerns the management of women with HER2 positive breast cancer. Before we go into the details of the study, can you just remind us about what HER2 positive breast cancer is? Yes, of course, Richard, I can. The HER2 or the OBB2 receptor is overexpressed or amplified in a subset of patients with breast cancer. That's thought to be around 15 to 25%. And these patients can have a more aggressive phenotype. But the good news is that in recent years, there's a targeted drug. And many listeners will have heard of Herceptin, or Trazuzumab, which is the non-proprietary name. And it's now available for the treatment of women with HER2-positive early breast cancer. Thanks, Emma. And, and the HERA trial, it's an ongoing trial, isn't it? So tell us a bit about that and what the key objectives are of this phase of the trial. Yes, the HERA trial is a multi-centre and it's a very large phase 3 trial in over 5,000 women. And it assesses one year or two year of Herceptin versus observation. And this is in women with HER2-positive early breast cancer after near-adjuvant or adjuvant therapy. Now, the primary endpoint of the trial was disease-free survival. And so far, the data for the two-year treatment group have not yet matured. But there have been two previous reports of the one-year data. And after the first report, which was a positive interim analysis, and this was at a median follow-up of one year, the trial protocol was amended for patients given the one year of Herceptin. It was amended so that those on the chemotherapy alone could cross over to receive Herceptin. But this was only in certain women who had adequate cardiac function. So the interim analysis that I just mentioned that triggered the crossover was published in the NAGM and it showed a significant difference in DFS, but not in overall survival. Whereas the second report published in the Lancet in 2007, this was the data at a median of two years follow-up and significant differences were noted for both PFS and OS. So we report in the issue DFS and OS data after a median follow-up of 48 months for the one-year arm versus chemotherapy alone. The authors also look at the effects of the crossover on efficacy and toxicity. Now it's known that you have to be very careful of the cardiac effects with Herceptin, as cardiac effects have been highlighted in previous trials as a concern, and this is particularly when they're combined with other chemotherapy that has cardiac toxicity such as the anthracyclines. So um, what were the main results from this phase of the trial? Well, the main results were that a significant difference was still seen in the primary endpoint, DFS, and this was at the longer follow-up. So there was a four-year DFS of 78.6% for those on Herceptin versus 72.2% for those that weren't given the Herceptin. But the difference in the overall survival was no longer significant. Now, this is likely as a result of the extensive crossover because, as I mentioned, after the first report, women were allowed to cross over to Herceptin treatment, and 52% of patients did this. So of interest, even these late crossovers seem to benefit from the Herceptin treatment. And they also had less cardiac effects than those that were given upfront Herceptin. So of course this is with the caveats that this is a crossover analysis, it's not randomised. It was in selected patients that had good cardiac function. So the findings should be viewed with caution and shouldn't be generalised to other unselected populations. So what do you think these results mean, Emma, for clinical practice for women with this type of HER2-positive breast cancer? And, and what is the, what's the future of, of the HERA programme? Presumably there's some more research to be done. Yes, well, these latest results show that women continue to benefit from Herceptin treatment in the long term. But there's other questions that now need to be addressed, and the two-year findings are eagerly awaited. There are also many discussions about how Herceptin should be administered. For example, should it be administered concurrently with treatment or sequentially as it was used here? 
And there's a comment linked to the article by Dr. Heike Jonsu from the Helsinki University Central Hospital in Finland, and he discusses this aspect in light of the other trial data that's out there. We also have another comment in the issue, and this looks at the scheduling of Herceptin in the neoadjuvant setting. And these authors, some of whom were also authors on the HERA trial publication that we report, they looked at scheduling in the context of the cardiac effects that have been seen in the trials, and they concluded that concurrent treatment of Herceptin with chemotherapy should be viewed with caution from the neoadjuvant trial data. So that's the three trials, the NOAA trial, the JEPRA Quattro and the MD Anderson trial that are available. And this is because the cardiac events in these trials, they weren't measured in a standardised way and they were not pre-specified as primary or secondary endpoints. And also the follow-up of these trials, the neoadjuvant trials, is still very short. So you might expect some later cardiac events to manifest. Thanks very much, Emma. It's a really important study and quite complex. I think it was good that we spent some time on that. Let's now um, discuss changing the subject, the editorial this month. And this concerns cancer prevention, but very much in a global health context, which is, I think, refreshing from, uh, in oncology. So why, why this topic this month? Yes, as you say, our editorial this month looks at cancer mortality in developing countries. Now, there was a recent report in the Annals of Oncology, and this highlighted that for most cancers, mortality is decreasing in Europe. But this contrasts sharply with the global mortality patterns that have recently been reported by the ACS, the American Cancer Society. And this is the recent Globoscan data. And they reported that the global mortality rates are increasing. And that's with estimates of 64% of the deaths occurring in developing countries. So we really wanted to cast a light on this issue. And our editorial focuses predominantly on how prevention might impact on mortality although, of course, diagnosis and treatment can both have a role. So there are well-known issues that you know, have been discussed ad infinitum in these countries, cost, healthcare infrastructure, rurality and wars, that's just to name a few. But there's many other pressing health issues that quite rightly compete for attention, um, such as malaria or HIV. So it's really encouraging to find that there are various initiatives ongoing, and we highlight these in our editorial. Although tobacco control will be a key problem that will need to be tackled in these areas as many countries are just at the start of their lung cancer epidemic. So Emma, do you think, are you confident that cancer prevention and and management will ever become a health priority in less developed settings? Is that realistic, do you think? Yeah, it's a difficult one because it's such a huge issue. But a few months ago, we published a comment from the UICC that are very active in, in global health and in cancer prevention. And they highlighted that cancer does not even specifically feature in the Millennium Development Goals, the so-called NDGs. And there is to be a high-level UN meeting, that's next September, to discuss these non-communicable diseases, including cancer. And there are now many other groups with an interest in cancer and these diseases, lobbying for these to be moved up the UN agenda. Thanks, Emma. And finally, let's um, discuss a comment. And this concerns treatment for metastatic urothelial cancer. This is a new cancer on me, Emma. Just tell us what it is and how common it is. Yes, well, the authors of the comment estimate that 386,000 patients are diagnosed with urothelial carcinoma, or UC, every year, and 150,000 of these will die. Now, the patients tend to be quite elderly and they have high rates of renal insufficiency and this can then exclude them from being eligible for cisplatin-based chemotherapy. So the idea behind the comment that we published was to unify the criteria to identify which patients might be suitable for cisplatin treatment, and of course those that are unfit for treatment. Thanks Emma. So as you said, the key issue here is, if you like, eligibility 
of treatment for, for chemotherapy because of, of age-related renal failure. That's the, the key issue, is it? Yes, yes. The authors did a survey of experts and they synthesised the responses they got to come up with recommendations of who should be considered unfit for treatment. And they put together a working group and also did an extensive literature search to develop a consensus amongst this group. So the criteria that they defined for the patients was a WHO or ECOG performance status of 2 or a Karnofsky performance status of 60 to 70%, cronatinine clearance of less than 1 mil per second, and CTCAE version 4 grade 2 or more audiometric hearing loss, the CTCA version 4 grade 2 or more peripheral neuropathy, or the NYHA class 3 heart failure. Thanks, Emma. And anything else you'd like to mention about that comment or anything else in the March issue? And there's one other paper I'd like to point out that's very interesting, and that's a personal view on screening strategies for breast cancer in low- and middle-income countries. Now, the author of this personal view concludes by saying that you should do what you can rather than use a one-size-fits-all approach, which is commonly used. And the approaches should be tailored to what is practical for that region. So I think perhaps if this and other innovative ways of thinking are applied to cancer prevention strategies in developing countries, the what now seems insurmountable problem of increasing mortality that we highlight in the leader and a growing cancer epidemic might at least start to be tackled. Excellent. Super. Many thanks indeed, Emma. It's a really interesting issue. Those are some of the highlights from the March issue of The Lancet Oncology. Many thanks to Emma and you all for listening. See you next month.